Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat and the Pittsburgh Penguins. They play hockey today, Horwat. Something they have only done once in the past eight days is play a game of hockey, and even that game against San Jose uh, resembled a game of hockey. I'm not exactly sure if there were two full hockey teams on the ice. But uh, nonetheless, the Penguins get the victory over the weekend, a 10-2-1 over the Sharks, and they move on to more actual business as they try to seek revenge against the Anaheim Ducks later tonight in Southern California. We'll break down that game. We're going to talk a little bit about Jake Gensel and comparing him to somebody who is somewhat considered a draft bus. How can a draft bus and Jake Gensel be compared? We're going to do that in a little bit, and we're also going to talk about the dilemma awaiting the Pittsburgh Penguins when they return home from Southern California surrounding their fourth line and their goaltending situation. But before we get into that, Horwat, this is the second episode of November of the Tip of the Iceberg. We kind of talked about it a little bit before the show. Want to get into it really quickly here. Is it too early to decorate for Christmas on November 7th? Ladies and gentlemen, it is the annual debate. Also, before we get into that, apologies for the voice today. I'm getting over a cold <laughs> still, so uh, <clears throat> yeah. my answers will be short, sweet, to the point, most likely, uh, unless I start finding a rhythm in my voice and I can utilize it. But thankfully, the Penguins are on the road, and we don't have to hear this in some audio. Uh, that being said, it is still too early, at least in my eyes. I understand why stores will put their stuff out because they're trying to sell it. They're trying to, you know promote it, sell it to you to buy so you can have it up at your house or apartment or wherever you live. <clears throat> but for yourself, I'm still up firmly of the belief that day after Thanksgiving is the day to get all that going. Let Thanksgiving okay. have its time. I understand that all these sales are going up way sooner than normal. I think Home Depot is already doing their Black Friday sales, which is nutty. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's living a capitalist world. What can we say? Yeah, exactly. And this debate was obviously sparked and this conversation was sparked by the fact that we have a new presence on the podcast, at least until probably mid-January, maybe February. And that is uh, my good friend Ben back there. That's my plant, my money tree, Ben. Get it? Uh, he was banished from where he usually was because we had to put Garland up. We we had to start the Christmas transformation of our apartment. And I did say, I, I will 
put some of this on myself. I did tell my wife, I said, you know, we didn't decorate last year for Christmas. We didn't want to go and get all of our stuff, which is a couple states away and bring it back. And then I said, this year, let's, we'll decorate for Christmas. Obviously that's fine. I'm fine with doing that. What I didn't know I was opening was Pandora's box of, okay, that means before we even go up to get it, we're going to get Garland. We're going to get a Christmas mat that has been out since the middle of October. So I think that's a bit too early, but at this point, the year goes by so fast. Like Thanksgiving's in two and a half weeks. It's not that far off. The year goes by so fast. Why not? I mean, get into the Christmas spirit. My my iPhone background is 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 winter already. Why not? Let's. I've given in. I've I've fallen on my sword. I'm done with this entire conversation. I'm just gonna say, you know what? Christmas is the only really like Christmas and hockey. That's the reasons to be happy. And I guess football for me, uh, Christmas, hockey and football. The only reason to really be happy outside of, uh, of everyday life in the fall, especially once it starts to get dark at five o'clock, which is miserable. Yeah. So you know what? Uh, I've, I've conceded. I'm fine with putting up Christmas decorations in November now. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> Certain points in November, it is what it is. I just think, uh, we all have our own opinions. Also, we still got 60 degree days left up here. We're, we're trying to utilize as many of those as possible with this eh. winter feel. It did snow for a hot second. Um, yeah, but what are you going to do with a 60 degree day when it gets dark at 458? I don't know. It, <laughs> Everybody, We work, man. We're not in college anymore where we could say, you know what? That's fine. I'm just going to skip class and go down to the point. Like we work now. So we're done with work and it's like, well, it's dark out. So I guess I'll make dinner and crawl into bed like I did last night. And I was like, oh, it's only seven o'clock. Never mind. I should probably do something. Oh, yeah. Megan and I were just leaving to go grocery shopping at 7 last night, so we had things to yeah. do. I'm not adjusted. I'm not adjusted. But let's let's get back to the Pittsburgh Penguins and Penguins hockey. It's been a long time since they've played some consistent hockey. We talked about how, you know, they got a little bit of that on their last homestand. It wasn't great hockey. They lost three of their four, and then they took the four-day break, and then they played the Sharks, which was okay, and then they took another two-day break, and here we are finally getting back into the swing of things with two games in the next three days, starting with a game against the, the Anaheim Ducks tonight. But yesterday, the Penguins were back on the ice, getting in some work, and Mike Sullivan provided an injury update on both Alex Nedeljkovic and John Ludwig. That is, that they are both back in Pittsburgh, and they've begun skating on their way back to game action. Now, Nedeljkovic's injury status becomes very interesting for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Ludwig dealing with a concussion. He's only on regular IR. He, he's not taken off the salary cap at all. If he's even on the IR, I don't even know if they placed him. I don't on think they ever moved so. him. I think he's still just chilling. So the second he's ready to go, it doesn't change the cap at all. But when Alex Nedeljkovic is ready to come back, which is November 19th is the earliest he can return from long-term injured reserve. Magnus Helberg gets sent back, but another player needs to be reassigned as well to fit Nedeljkovic under the salary cap. The question becomes who? And that's where the dilemma comes in for the Pittsburgh Penguins because Vinny Henestroza was called up in accordance with this move. Does he become the one that gets sent back? It gets a little bit muddied whenever you see him have one game and two points in that singular game. Obviously, there's six games between now and then, but this is a dilemma, Horwat. What do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to use over the next six games to try to figure out, and who do you think could be the odd man out as we head into this stretch? That's It's really tough to really pinpoint that answer because we saw <clears throat> Vinny Henestros in that game and really liked what we saw, but it was one game against the Sharks. You do need to give him more of a, uh, more of a look against better teams. I, and don't get me wrong, there, there were still some 
low points against the Sharks. There were still some certain areas that needed to be adjusted and fixed, but at the end of the day, there's only so much you could take from a 10-2 shellacking, especially whenever yeah. it was 10 goals against a team that it was the second time in a row they did it. You don't know what kind of team they are. The Sharks are just nonsense. So you can't really pull too much from that game. I would say when it comes to what the Penguins are going to do with you know, sending someone down to the minors, they might look at the defenseman because there are a couple of options there. John Ludwig right amongst them. Ryan Shea right amongst them. <clears throat> I know everyone's liked what he's done so far, but that's still an option to be sent back to the minors as well. And who knows if P.O. Joseph is maybe on a trade block. Who knows if we get that sort of call one of these days. <clears throat> And same with Chad Ruedel. There's all kind of options that go into this depth defense that uh, if any Henestroza is earning his spot at the NHL level, you're going to look at the defense to uh, lose a name because still don't get the vibe Jeff Carter's going anywhere. No, no. I mean, you, all you have to do is go back and look at what Mike Sullivan said about Jeff Carter yesterday post-practice and how he handled the the healthy scratch you can tell that you know eventually Jeff Carter is gonna draw back into the lineup and he's not going anywhere first of all you you can't go anywhere right like the only thing that would have to happen is Jeff Carter saying well if you don't want to play me I guess I'll waive my no movement clause which again uh, unlikely to say the least but we were all surprised whenever the initial roster came out before the season started and said they're going with only 12 forwards and they're going with four third pairing defensemen because that's what they did they said you know what we went out and got John Ludwig we have Ryan Shea we think that he has an opportunity and we should give him an opportunity here you have P.O. Joseph you have Chad Ruedel who were the incumbents in this entire situation and the problem with that being you're now 10 games into the season and there's no clarity on who your third pairing is you know it, it got muddied up a little bit last game because you put P.O. Joseph and Ryan Shea in there and I thought Ryan Shea has looked rather good since he made his debut. And you look at what you saw from, from Joseph and Shea in that game, the first time that those two had paired together in a game this season. And it was kind of worrisome. There were a couple of times where I was like, um, why did we move to this? I understand you want to see P.O. Joseph get an opportunity. You shouldn't, you know, take the guy out of the lineup and banish him forever to the press box because of one bad game. And I understand that he hadn't been playing fantastic up to that game against St. Louis, but, or sorry, against Detroit, which is the one that he last played in before that. But still, I looked at that pairing on Saturday and I said, of all the things that went right for the Penguins against this team that we've talked about in the Sharks, that is just horrible, that is looking for Macklin Celebrini, who I, I didn't know was a junior Shark at one point, which throws another little interesting tidbit into the situation. There's a little bit in there but, for him. But you see that pairing go out there and not look altogether there, especially compared to what we saw from Ryan Shea and Chad Ruedel, which was pretty steady and pretty solid for those handful of games, which is why they stuck with it. Not to mention John Ludwig's only had five minutes of ice time, so are you going to give up on him? It becomes a dilemma, which we talked about it. There's six games between now and November 19th when the Penguins take on the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to have to use those games very wisely to try to figure something out because they haven't in the first 10 and they have six games now because, you know, if you send Vinny Henestrosa back and you roll with 12 forwards and put Jeff Carter back in and your fourth line goes back to what it was beforehand, wh what are we doing here? You're taking steps backward. But then if you don't know what you're doing with your third pairing and you make a mistake and you lose a guy like P.O. Joseph, 
for nothing on the waiver wire because all four of these defensemen would have to clear waivers and then it doesn't work out with Ludwig or Shea or Ruweedle, then you're, again, taking another step backwards. So it's a very important stretch here of six games, especially when you consider they have the Ducks who've won six games in a row. They have the Kings who are one of the hottest teams in the NHL coming up on Thursday. And then they finally start to play some, you know, Metropolitan Division powerhouses in Carolina and New Jersey coming to town. They have Vegas on the schedule, like we mentioned. There's a lot of important games coming up, and they have a lot of things to figure out in those games. Yeah, it's it's that waiver <clears throat> that waiver wire thing that I think could make a trade option you know, available to them. It, that's also if Kyle Dubas really doesn't want to stick around to P.O. Joseph. Like we mentioned uh, last episode, he's got options that are about the same level of youth mm-hmm. and at this point maybe potential in the you know Ryan Shea, John Ludwig, Jack Rathbone, who we just brought in. So those options are available to them if they decide to make a move on P.O. Joseph. Um, and not only that, but that would eliminate your waiver situation. Don't have to worry about losing a player to waivers. You're going to get something in return. Maybe that something is just clearing out some roster space, maybe a late-round draft pick, uh, maybe a prospect or some sort of depth minor league option. Um so you never know what you could get in return for P.O. Joseph. I still think the potential is there for P.O. It might just not be served here, which is tough, considering what he came in with. Um, or if they really wanted to, trade John Ludwig, trade Ryan Shea. Who knows? The Penguins have their options in defense, but that waiver wire thing does make it interesting, especially considering they've taken two two names off of waivers. Kyle Dubas took two names. Who knows if someone's going to see that and go, all right, we're going to take one back or mm-hmm. you know step in and interfere that way it's quite interesting and if they want to make it be Vinny, you'd have to give jeff carter some time again in this next six game stretch to see if he is can now be contribute contribute with that fourth line that may have found something again i think mm-hmm. first you got to give Vinny another chance um against better teams but then if that fourth line is continuing its mojo all right give Vinny healthy scratch again put jeff carter back in just to see if he is able to capitalize the same way. The next few, you know couple of games, you're right, are going to be so interesting for this team specifically and for these depth options mm-hmm. specifically. I mean, the top lines, we already know what they are. We know what they're going to do. But this depth is going to get it's going to get shaken up a little bit. It's gonna, I don't want to say put in a blender, mm-hmm. but you're going to see a shuffle button, I think, a little bit here. Yeah, especially on the fourth line. And that's where I think the next six games gets really interesting. I would assume Vinny Henestroza gets another opportunity to go out there and prove his worth tonight because, you know, two points in your first game, you obviously have earned the right to get a couple more games. And and I know that Jeff Carter is a veteran. And as Mike Sullivan said yesterday, there's an inherent respect that goes with being that, you know, that seasoned as a veteran in the NHL. But they're going to let Jeff Carter, they know what he's going to give, right? You know exactly what Jeff Carter is, especially on that fourth line. You saw it through the first nine games of the season. You have to give Henestrosa, especially in these next six games, that opportunity to show whether or not he deserves to stay at the NHL level. Because let's not forget, you know, the waiver situation. If Henestrosa is the guy that they decide to send down, he doesn't have to go through waivers by November 19th, right? He still skirts under that 10 games. Uh, 30 days of service at the NHL where he would be waiver eligible once again. 
whereas he can just get sent down again. Now, again, is that what Penguins fans want to hear? No, they want to hear that Vinny Henestrosa, particularly after coming off the game that he did, is the answer at fourth line, is the redeems a Horna for the fourth line as the Horna was for the third line that turns that line around and, and re-energizes it and actually lets us see what Kyle Dubas wanted that to be. But the problem is... You have to figure out the defense because if it's going to come to losing a defender for nothing or sending Hinnestroza down and letting Jeff Carter back into the lineup while they try to figure things out at defense still, that's probably the route they, they choose because they're not going to lose a player for nothing in that instance. Yeah. <clears throat> and not only that, when it comes to letting these guys, because you don't want to play with 12 forwards, I feel like. You don't want just that uncertainty of injury happens. Well, now we have to scramble. You kind of want that ease of, okay, there's the option right there. We can just filter in and move along. Um, does Jeff Carter also, because we're mentioning him getting back into the lineup and Vinny Henestrosa earning his you know his next game at least, does Jeff Carter play his last game in L.A. on Thursday? That's It's a small thing, but you really got to think about it. Now, he won two cups there. Mm-hmm. This very well could be the last year of his career. Mike Sullivan said he could be knocking on the door of the Hall of Fame. I said it a couple years ago. I think these last few years have really done a number on that possibility. But could that be the last time he plays in L.A.? Is Jeff is Mike Sullivan going to, even if it is just for one game, let's say Vinny Henestros is in this lineup. Let's say he's seen enough. Does Jeff Carter get that one last game, though? That Thursday game is going to be interesting for Carter. I bet Carter files back in at least there, no matter what happens with Vinny, just because of that sentiment. See, and the only problem with that being the Penguins are not in a position right now where they can yep. play the the sentimental card over the we need to put the best team on the ice because we need to collect wins. You know, if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, your 3 and 6 start, now 4 and 6 start doesn't afford you the luxury to be, say, "Hey, this is the last trip potentially for Jeff Carter to LA. Let's give him a shot here. Let's allow him to get in." get some playing time in a place that means so much to them because one, the Pittsburgh Penguins need to stack wins. They need to have a solid November to put themselves back in a decent position heading into the last month of 2023. But not only that, they haven't won in in Los Angeles since 2018. It's starting to become a house of horrors as much as a Western conference arena could become. You have to get wins, and you can't start trying to play the sentimental card over the we need to put the team on the ice that's going to give us the best shot to win card, which right now, I mean, again, whatever we can take from from Saturday is what we can take from Saturday, but pending results tonight, if Innistrosa looks good again, it would be, it would certainly turn up the volume and turn up the heat on Mike Sullivan something that he just got out from under on Saturday with a 10 to 2 win. You released a little bit of a of pressure from that from that pressure cooker, but you know, if you lose tonight or if you have a poor performance tonight or make a poor decision tonight, that pressure just builds right back to where it was before you beat the San Jose Sharks. You're right. Yeah, it absolutely does. I just uh <clears throat> just that possibility is out there. Uh, yeah. you never know. I mean, <laughs> I see that two games after that, the Penguins are in Columbus. Uh, but then, uh, is it Jeff Carter's last game in Columbus for that half a season he spent there? <laughs> yeah, well, okay. We can get to a point where, yeah, you know, every time they play Philly, is it is it Jeff Carter's <laughs> last time in Philly? I mean, the guy is has been around the league a little bit over the past, what, 13, 14, 15 seasons? Probably longer than Drafted that. Drafted in 03. Crosby has. Yeah, so 20 seasons, 20 years at least. 
Uh, let's see how many years. He is in year 19. Yeah, because the lockout. Lockout year. He started a little late, too. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> year 19. Think think of the trajectory. Sidney Crosby also in year 19. Yeah, they're in different places in their career. I think they're entirely different players. Uh, I think that one is uh, the easiest analysis either of us could have ever made in the history of, of this podcast. But uh, it's going to be a dilemma for the Pittsburgh Penguins when they return home to Pittsburgh to see where Alex Nedeljkovic is. If he's skating already with 12 days until that you know first day of eligibility back from LTIR, I would assume that he's likely going to be ready or at the very least going to be ready shortly after that that date passes. So uh, they have about 12 days. And like we mentioned, they have six games in those 12 days to figure out what they're going to do. Do they send Henestrosa back or do they place one of their four third pairing defensemen on, uh, on waivers? And if they do, who are the two guys that they trust to be their third pairing going forward? You have to have that figured out, especially at that point, you'll be what 16, 17 games in the season. You need to have a pretty good idea of who the two best out of those four players are uh, at that point in time. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Jake Gensel hit a major milestone over the weekend, but is he somehow comparable to one of the biggest busts of the past decade? We'll talk about that after the break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horowat, when you were watching that game on Saturday, did you have the same thought that I had, which was, I could go to bed right now and it really wouldn't matter at this point because this team is not going to lose to the San Jose Sharks. I felt that about midway through the second period, a second period in which they scored five goals and ended up up 7-1 to one after 2. And at that point, I was questioning whether or not it was smart to even stay up to watch the third period. I did, because responsibility does that sort of thing, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, it, those games, late like that, if the game is out of hand, it just it gets harder and harder to stay up. It does, but then <clears throat> you remember who the, what team they're playing. That, that team just gave up 10 goals the, a few nights before. Yeah. You start wondering, yeah. you start thinking, yeah, are they going to do it again? Are the Penguins going to be a part of some weird history? It's the first time that's happened since the pre-expansion era. Like, 63, I think, is the last time. It 60, uh, 1965, it was the uh, Boston Bruins. Yeah, that did it. That gave up 10 goals two games in a row. Um, I, There's something that keeps you around, but you're totally right. If you fell asleep and said, I'll catch the rest of the goals at the end absolutely you were you had every right to do that because the yeah. Penguins were not playing a good team and for what it's worth the first period wasn't phenomenal you only scored twice. no I thought the Penguins looked rusty I said that a couple times yeah but you know they answered right back with a five goal second um mm -hmm. and it's not like Tristan Jari faced a lot of rubber I forget how many he actually uh 
took on. It didn't matter. But it didn't matter. <laughs> it, did, it didn't matter. I think we can all trust that Jari won't let in 10 goals, right? We can all... Um, not against that team. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. Fair enough. Uh, now, now we'll see what happens when you start playing actual contenders in the Eastern Conference, but, you know, not against that San Jose Sharks team. I mean, that was the first collection, or I forget what Brian Metzer, friend of the show, says, uh, first, uh, I don't know, the Midnight Owls Club. I, I, whatever the, the 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 terms he uses, uh, stayed up for the Midnight Owls Club. And the one thing I'll ask you here, because we have two more of these 10 o'clock starts, in fact, a 10.30 start on Thursday in L.A., how do you get through it? How do you stay up? Because I know there's been a lot of people, I said on Twitter on Saturday, I said, I don't drink coffee, but there's days like this that make me think that maybe I should start, especially now. It's a Tuesday and a Thursday, you got a full work day. How do you stay up to watch these 10 o'clock starts? It's it's a lot of coffee. So going into every coffee. going into every home game also <clears throat> that I'm going to, I get one of the I get a coffee in the press box too. Uh so those are seven o'clock, seven thirty, you know, seven thirty games that I'm having a coffee for. I mean, these, yeah. these 10, 10 30s, um, I can't have too much coffee that late. It will make my stomach really upset. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. it's maybe just another normal late night coffee. But other than that, it's kind of just kicking, kicking myself, not even kicking myself, just staying awake. I'm usually really good at being able to stay up kind of late. I'm not, I'm <laughs> horrible. I am a whore. Like we, we used to do in college yeah. where there were times where, you know, we, we just didn't go to bed for some reason because we were stupid. That is a horrible idea. If you're thinking of doing that, don't it's, it's, it's awful for everything. But at this point, the hardest thing for me is the intermissions Ooh. because during the games I can sit there and I can, I can yeah. focus in on the action. I can focus in on that. And then during the commercials, they're not long enough for me to doze off, but those intermissions, nothing against Haley Hunter, Mike Rupp, and who was the third person there the other day? Colby was on the road, was it so it was um, it was Jay, Jay Caulfield? yeah, and Jay Caulfield. Nothing, nothing against those three, but seventeen minutes between action at eleven thirty at night puts me to sleep. So usually, I'm standing next to like it, usually these games I try to watch in bed because I'm tired. Yeah, it, um, and I fall asleep easier on the couch, but I stand next to my bed during the intermission. I just stand there and watch it because I I cannot, I can't lay in bed. I can't sit in bed. I'll fall asleep. So I stand directly next to where I've been sitting to watch the game or I I stand at my desk and I type notes because I can't, I can't stay up during those intermissions. If I just sit there and try to watch. That's what I was going to say. Cause it helps that during intermissions is when I'm doing some work. So like I'm able Mm -hmm. to kind of keep staring at a screen, keep my attention going. Um, yeah, And really, like I said, it's not the nights. Megan and I have trained ourselves really well during COVID, especially, that it's not that bad staying up super late. Um, we had a couple of 4 a.m. nights during COVID, man. The, that lockdown really did a number on our sleep schedules. Um, the horrifying part for me, though, during those games is the next morning. Because I had to turn around and be <laughs> awake by 7, 8 a.m. just to start working yeah. again. Um Yep. So that's the tough part. It's not the night of, it's the morning after that really does the number. Um, yeah, we talked about it. You know, college, we did it and got away with it. Why? Because who cared? I mean, stay in school, school kids, go to your go to your classes, but neither of us would schedule 8 a.m. classes because we were not stupid. Oh, yeah. Senior um, year, I secondly, only did six to nine. <laughs> yeah. Sec- secondly, COVID didn't have to do anything yeah. the next day anyway. It's it's these days that you have stuff going on, but uh, let's get back to the point here. Or we we spend a lot of time off topic today, but oh well. I mean, that's what happens. We're getting late in the year. We know we're going to be up till about two or three in the morning t- this morning. So we got a couple uh, of more morning, West Coast so trips gonna... to make too. They still have to play Seattle, Vancouver, Vegas. Yeah, 
Man. Arizona. Oh, Arizona. All of them. Yeah. Yes, this is the first of, I think, three or four West Coast trips, but at least Arizona, Vegas, and them, those are like 9 o'clock starts. But um, Jake Gensel hit a major milestone on, on Saturday. Late, late at night, he hit a major milestone, scoring his 200th regular season goal. Fastest to hit that mark of anybody in the 2013 draft class, of course. Jake Gensel, a third rounder in 2013 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's by games played, not by average age. Uh, you mentioned going into that night, you texted me and said, interesting tidbit, Jake Gensel and Patrick Laine are at 199 going into today, looking for the same milestone. Now, Laine still at 199, still trying to catch 200, but it brings an interesting comparison to the table. Gensel and, and Patrick Laine have had very different paths. For one, Jake Gensel is four years older than Patrick Laine, and was a third-round pick, like I mentioned, in 2013. Meanwhile, Patrick Laine was the second overall selection in 2016. Yet, these two players debuted in the same season. Laine made his debut at the beginning of that year because he started with the Jets. Gensel made his debut a little bit later in the year as he came up, scored two goals immediately against the Rangers. We all remember what he went on to do in the playoffs that season. But... You look at their their careers from then until now, and they're pretty simultaneous when it comes to on-the-ice production. 463 games played for Gensel, 466 for Patrick Laine, 427 points for Gensel, 381 for Laine. So Gensel has like a 40-point lead, and a big reason for that is the assist marker. Mm -hmm. Jake Gensel has 226 career assists. Line A has 182, and like you mentioned, they're close in goals. Gensel now has 201 with his two-goal performance against the San Jose Sharks, while Line A sits at 199. These two guys, very different paths, but very similar when it comes to goal scoring. They're known as being goal scorers. Gensel has a little bit more of a playmaking side than Line A, but if you look at the national perspective, Gensel is looked at as, hey, He's a good second-tier star next to Crosby and Malkin on that team, next to Latang on that team. He's decent. He gets the goals. And there's always the question of, what would Jake Gensel look like if he didn't play with Sidney Crosby? Would he look like Patrick Laine, Horwat? Because Patrick Laine, at least in Winnipeg, was considered a bust. Yeah. He was not living up to the hype that he had going into his career back in 2016 because that was the same draft... Let's not forget, that was the same draft as Austin Matthews right in front of him. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> so these two were expected to be neck and neck throughout their career. You know, Matthews, Line A was supposed to be the next, you know, even though they weren't in the same year, Crosby, Ovechkin coming in at the same time. Let's see what these two can do on parallel paths. Line A hasn't lived up to that. He gets traded from Winnipeg. He goes to Columbus. And the thing is, I asked Jason Newland, who writes for the Columbus Blue Jackets of the Hockey News, I said, what is the vibe surrounding Patrick Laine now in, what, year three or four with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he said, Columbus loves him. Like He's not considered a bust here. Now, they didn't spend a second overall pick on him. They traded away a guy that didn't want to be there anymore and Pierre-Luc Dubois to get him. But he said Laine is beloved here, and it might be because Laine is a low-key human being and Columbus is a low-key organization in the NHL. So it seems like a match made in heaven, but still the overall national you know, thought on Line is he's kind of a bust. Mm -hmm. He isn't living up to expectations that were set for him. Is that the only difference here? Like, is that the biggest difference between Line and Gensel is just their expectations coming in? And are they comparable when it comes to their actual play on the ice? 
I would say they're definitely comparable. I think what's really interesting about the uh, lining in Columbus situation is that you're right. He's a more of a low key human being, but at the same time, still a character, right? He's, I mean, he's showing up mm-hmm. to games in these very extravagant you know, suits, outfits, and hats, right? He's the one that wears the hats, right? <laughs> yes, he wears the hats. Shaved his cover head. up the shaved yeah. his head coming into the season. Um, there's still a character there, so you're go- he's going to be a fan favorite for stuff like that. I mean, Penguins fans loved Ryan Reeves for his off ice stuff. weren't too, you know, neither was Mike Sullivan. weren't too big on the on ice performance. Um, yeah. but man, I think uh, I think Penguins fans would take him over Toronto fans these days, eh? Uh, yeah, Toronto fans are not happy. That's a different that. discussion though. Um, but I think another. So he is still a character there, and he's still going to be a fan favorite, and he's performed well. What I think is very interesting about Patrick Laine is that he got to Columbus in the 21-22 season, his first full year there. His 56 games had a clean 56 points, you know, mm-hmm. point per game. Signed an $8.7 million contract. The expectations yeah. of Laine are what gives him this huge, holy cow, like the second overall pick, um, could have quote unquote been better than Matthews for a minute. That was that that was a real discussion being had. That was a discussion, yeah. In the early Winnipeg days. There was genuine thought that he could be this unreal player. Injuries may have gotten in the way, some slumps may have gotten in the way. Mm-hmm. But the expectations are still right there. Still enough for him to earn after a fifty six and fifty six points in fifty six games, eight point seven million dollars for only four years. Yeah. But now he's in the midst of that. His modified no trade clause is kicked in this year. He is injured right now, so it's kind of hard for him to, you know, really get back on pace. But he's still mm-hmm. sitting on that one ninety nine number. If you would have said, however many years into his career he is, I forget now. But if you would have said in twenty sixteen that by the year twenty twenty three, almost twenty four, uh, he's still under two hundred goals. I don't think anybody would have believed you. Um, he's still yet to have a 50 goal season. He had a 40. Gensel's got a beat there. Gensel's got two 40s. Could have had a third. Gensel has two 40s. Line has one. Yeah. And his one was in his second season back in 2017 18. He had 44. Yeah. So I think just because the expectations are so high for Line that um, it, <clears throat> it's, interest, it's an interesting comparison to really look at and to go, okay, well, his expectations are sky high. Jake Gensel's doing the same thing goals wise if not better overall wise and still doesn't get that recognition every time mike sullivan is asked about um jake gensel it's well he's one of the most underappreciated elite level players in the game and that's true yeah he's playing with crosby so we're we're discussing the ideas of olympic rosters this uh whatever world cup thing the nhl wants to do soon Jake Gensel's an American-born player who could easily crack that roster, yet is not on a lot of predictions for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really should be. It's He can play well on his own. He would have been able to show it probably this past summer, uh, representing Team USA, had it not been for the injury at his ankle. But yeah. when it comes to the Gensel-Line comparison, it's a comparison that in 2016-17... Maybe 17, 18. No one would have thought of making. Oh, line A by a mile. He's supposed to do this, 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 and this. Still making $8.7 million and not doing it. 
Jake Gensel, yeah. about to earn a huge contract, by the way. And that's where I wanted to go with this yep. next. I mean, Patrick Line, four years, $8.7 million. Now, we all know that the highest paid forward on the Penguins is Sidney Crosby at 8.7. Do you think that that seemingly is where Gensel might end up landing, is around the same contract as a Patrick Line, who's had similar numbers throughout his his career, but is four years younger and still getting that. Do you think Jake Gensel on this contract, which could be his his big payout contract, right? Because he took a lower number in his last one, and I think we can all agree he has overperformed his, what, $6 million a year AAV on, on his current deal. Do you see him going up to tying Crosby and tying Line at $8.7 million in his next contract? Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go over. If this salary cap is supposed to really? if this salary cap is supposed to raise the way it is. Now, it all does depend on the performance that Gensel puts up this year. There's still some asterisks. Which so far so good, eh? Four goals, nine assists in 10 games. That's a uh, that that's I would say that that's getting towards earning yourself an 8.7 or higher contract exactly. if you continue that pace. Yeah, if the cap is going up the way we're all expecting it to. It finally should. God willing. Sure, Gary. Yeah. Um, if it finally does do that, you're going to have that space to play with. So yeah, uh, meeting at 8.7 is a good starting point. I think, um, Mm -hmm. at 10 might be a bit of an exaggeration considering William Nylander wants that number and everyone in Toronto is, you're not that good. Well, he might be now. Um, but Gensel's another one of those situations where you might start at 8.7 for this kid and then kind of work around there. Just sort of. Because you're going to have that extra space. You're going to have Jeff Carter coming off the books. You're going to have a lot of extra space to work with. Um, yeah, you could give Gensel three, or sorry, you could give Gensel 9.125 and you would have accounted for uh, Jeff Carter being off the books. Hey, and you know what? And then you have that extra cap space to work with. <clears throat> yeah. There's some. That's true. I mean, but also, here's the thing. Do you really want to go out there and overpay Jake? Not overpay. I mean, Gensel has earned a pretty significant contract in his next deal. But do you want to go out there and just say, hey, we want to get this done. We're going to give you $9 million or $9.2 million to get this done so we can lock in our top winger when, you know, you don't know what the conversation is going to be surrounding your goaltender. You certainly will have at least Tristan Jari four years remaining on that contract. What do you do with it? You know, what do you do with if your defense doesn't work? If this amalgamation of Pedersen, Graves, Latang, and Carlson, if you go halfway through the season or three quarters of the way through the season and you're like, well, we want to sign Gensel before the end of the year, but this defense hasn't worked out. It's all it can be changed. It's all fluid because of the state of the team is going to be fluid over the next, what, 72 games that they have left. But I think when you're looking at a a starting atmosphere, I I think it has to start around the 8.5 to $8.7 million range because you look at a comparison and you know that Jake Gensel's agent is going to say, hey, look at Patrick Line, this guy that had all these expectations, and still my client, Jake Gensel, a third-round pick, is not just pacing him but outperforming him when it comes to totality of game. There's got to be uh there's got to be at least a conversation that starts around 8.5 8.7 especially because Gensel's been underpaid over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, it, it, <clears throat> I believe that that's probably where the conversation begins too. 8.5 8.7. And then who genuinely knows if this Penguins waste gets also steps into this conversation. There is something about playing with Sidney Crosby yeah. and seeing what he's done with his contract that 
I mean, genuinely makes players want to do the same thing. Evgeny Malkin yeah. could have easily earned far more than what he made. Uh, same goes for Chris Letang. And that's and that's before these new deals, the, these new 6.1s that they're on. Um, and even to a, de- to a degree, those ones as well, both Malkin and Letang could have earned more than 6.1 somewhere else. But they decided to yep. stick around. Obviously, there's other reasons for sticking around. But that pay cut had to come into play. And they took it. They mm-hmm. decided that that was the right move for them. So yeah. maybe that Penguins way also kind of gets in the way of this deal a little bit here and definitely keeps it south of 10. But like I said, if he if Jake Gensel's able to overperform, that $10 million is in play to a degree. So I like Jake Gensel. I, there's no universe where I see Jake Gensel as a $10 million player. You say that. There just isn't. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you're totally right. Like I said, William Nylander wants 10, and everyone in Toronto says he's not worth Again. It. Yeah. And, and again, there's the same questions. It's like, what is William Nylander on his own? But you're never going to get the answer to that question as long as he's in Toronto. You're never going to get that answer to the question as long as Gensel's in Pittsburgh. But I think the, the big thing is, too, you could sign Sidney Crosby to an extension starting July 1st. Yeah. What's he going to get? Sidney Crosby's going into his last year of his $8.7 million contract. Does he take a pay cut? Does that pay cut matched with the 5 to $6 million jump that is projected for the NHL salary cap, does that lead the Penguins to be a little bit more lenient on what they give Jake Gensel? And that's something that we don't know, um, something that we won't know until at least the end of the season, unless Gensel decides to sign his extension midseason. But it's... It's a fluid situation that's going to, in my eyes, determine a lot when it comes to the future of this team. Um, not so much the day-to-day right now, not so much this season, but that's a big conversation that we'll, we'll be having overout this season, depending on his progression, depending on the progression of you know the goaltender, which could become a big, big question mark if his performance stays the way that it has in Tristan Jari. So I, I think it's interesting, and I, I appreciate you bringing up the, the topic yeah. on Saturday when we were texting back and forth because – you know, line A is is a barometer for what Jake Gensel could make. Yeah. And we're discussing these numbers for Jake Gensel, and I think, you know, we're going to have an idea of a, of a salary number. The salary cap going up is going to play a hand in it. Losing the Jeff Carter contract is yeah. going to play a hand in it. <clears throat> Whatever midseason moves Kyle Dubas decides to make might play a hand in it. Who knows if Ricard Raquel, honest to yeah. God, lasts throughout this season? Let's be honest. I Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah. who knows how much space you're working with going into that contract discussion. And then, like like I said, we're setting these numbers here. Then you do have the Sidney Crosby contract. Do we have a number for him? Or do we hand him the blank check because he is Sidney Crosby? Because of what he's done for this town? Because of what he can yeah. probably still do? Do we say, you pick the number. Here you go. Do you want more or do you want less? I doubt we give him. Yeah. I doubt he wants more, especially at that point of his career and what he's already done. Um, team-wise, because there's no reason why Prime Sidney Crosby should have been making 8.7, even in the no. days that, you know, even in those days of that salary cap. No reason. No. So maybe if we hand him the blank check, he's lenient, 8.7 again, we continue. But, I, I mean, obviously that's something you lock up before anyone else gets the chance to. But mm. do we give him a number? Do we say 6.1 with your buddies? <laughs> do, does he want to do that? If, Who knows? So if the Penguins get Sidney Crosby on six point one million dollars. I know he'll be what 
38 at the outset of that contract, whatever it ends up being. If he signs another contract, that's not rule out the fact that he might call it quits after next year. But, you know, that's still 6.1 for Crosby at 38 years old. I would take it. I I think that (laughs) I think that that would certainly look good if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, again, a lot can happen in the next two years. We're going to have to obviously keep an eye on it. It's not something that's going to be resolved in the next two weeks. And it's not something that's going to be resolved by puck drop tonight, which (laughs) there is a game to be played tonight. Uh, Let's let's talk about that a little bit to close out the show right after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Pens, looking for some revenge. That is the theme of the day, Horwat. Revenge, seeking Pittsburgh Penguins against the Anaheim Ducks. It is, as you mentioned last Monday, it is flightless birds versus flightful birds, or whatever phrasing you use. I think I just said birds birds that can fly. That can fly. Yeah, birds that can fly. Uh, Penguins versus Ducks tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern time at the Honda Center. Ducks entering this one red hot, winners of six straight, including a 4-2 victory on home ice against the previously undefeated, at least in regulation, Vegas Golden Knights. The Ducks are flying high right now. Penguins are going to be looking for some revenge after that 4-3 loss last Monday night in the waning seconds of a game at PPG Paints Arena. Simple question for you, Horwat. What is the key to victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins going into this one against the mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Carrying some of the momentum that they gained in San Jose. Again, we don't know how to really analyze that San Jose game. We don't know what was good, what was bad, because of how horrendous the Sharks are. But, you know, even, even if it is the Sharks, 10 goals is something to stand on. 10 goals is something to build momentum on. <clears throat> maybe get yep. a few monkeys off the back. Maybe understand that it is still possible to win in this league for these for this team it is still going in with the right mindset um it's very much looking at that game and going we could still do this looking at the ducks and saying they were playing pretty decently against the ducks that was one of those 40 shot games yeah i got some numbers here that we'll get into cool. yeah so like the possibilities are still there it's just now a matter of carrying that momentum um mm-hmm into these last two games of the road trip and we'll talk the LA game on Thursday but at least taking it one game at a time starting tonight super late uh, it's carrying that momentum from San Jose to to Anaheim and Mm -hmm. you know understanding that you can still do this I got two keys to this game and I like yours you know carry that momentum whatever momentum you can build from playing that team in San Jose take it build on it and you need to start stacking wins as Mike Tomlin likes to say over on the south side you need to start stacking stacking days stacking wins stacking performances and the Penguins need to start doing that because they haven't been able to do that this Kyle season like the stacking longest win too. streak is yeah, he did use that yeah a something times. about Pittsburgh they must have had like a dinner at like the stack uh, up, or yeah, stacked oh, that's yeah. what it's called stacked stacked is it stacked stacked I, it's, I don't even know Whatever. if it's a real place <laughs> They had dinner at some point and said, you know what? This is the phrase we're going to use in Pittsburgh sports. And the Pirates said, hey, can we come? And they said, no, you're not allowed to. Although A.J. Burnett, uh, big-timing the owner of the of the Pittsburgh Pirates in his parking spot back in 2013 was uh, certainly a story I enjoyed. Uh, but keys to victory tonight, 
to, to wrap this entire show up here. I got two. One, that game in San Jose you mentioned. There were only four players on the Pittsburgh Penguins that did not record a point. Three of them all played on the same line, and that is the third Penguins line. I'd like to see them come back and have a really good game. Not that they performed poorly, not that they didn't get their opportunities, but they didn't capitalize on their opportunities, and that's not something that you want to see become, you know, an issue as time goes on. The fourth or the third line has been good at capitalizing on opportunities since Redeem Zahorna joined them in, I believe it was St. Louis was his first one. Yep, because he scored a goal in that one. But you have to get production from them every single game and we've seen it since he's joined I think the third line is going to be integral in this one because I think the Ducks while they are a good team while they are in my opinion overperforming what they should be they're not the deepest team and you're going to need your secondary scoring in this one because Mason McTavish is going to be a problem he's in the top there Leo Carlson is going to be a problem he's in the top there Troy Terry Trevor Zegras or Zegras or however you pronounce it he's going to be a problem but they're going to be matched up more often than not against Crosby, against Malkin. That should leave Lars Zeller, Drew O'Connor, Redeem Zahorna. If you can continue to build off of the performance you've had, start to capitalize on those opportunities and get a couple goals here. Uh, at least one goal here in this one. I think a third-line goal is a key to victory tonight for the Penguins. And the other one, if you're going to do that, this goes for the third line as well as the other, what, 15 skaters on the ice. Maybe not the defensemen, more so the forwards. Get in front of the damn net. Get in front of it. We saw it a couple of times on San Jose, which was good. But again, everything from San Jose is taken with an entire salt shaker, not just a <laughs> grain of salt. We saw what happened the last time the Penguins played the Ducks, and that was their biggest issue, is that Lucas Dostal in the second and third periods and John Gibson in the first period had clear line of, of sight for every single one of the Penguins' shot attempts. And there were 99 of them in total. 99 shot attempts by the Penguins in that game. And the Ducks, on the other end of things, had the same amount of blocked shots as they had shots on goal. 27. They blocked 27 shots in that game. And they only took 27 shots on goal. So yes, the Penguins need to be better with what shots they're getting on goal. Their shot selection. And when they get it to the goal... They need people to be there, not just to screen the goaltender, but to put away the garbage goals. That's how you're going to beat this Ducks team. You're not going to beat them, as we saw last Monday, by shooting from 30 feet out and letting Lucas Dostal or John Gibson or whoever's in net see the puck the entire way. You need to get in their, their line of sight. You need to muck it up a little bit. We saw that somewhat in San Jose. You need to see that become more of an actual habit for the Pittsburgh Penguins than just a, hey, we did that every once in a while because we were told to. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a habit. Yeah, it does. It's and you've been <clears throat> preaching this for a couple of episodes now. It's got to be yep a consistent piece of this team moving forward. They got to be better at it, successful at it, and uh, that could be huge. So that is our keys to victory tonight. Outside of obviously goaltending, um, Jeff Merrick yesterday went on his show and went off on the Edmonton Oilers. He said it so many times about a goaltender not being, you know, being the biggest part of a, of a team. He said, uh, I think one of the, the, the phrases he uses, he uses a lot of turn of phrases. It's hard to keep track sometimes. Uh, but the one that he used, I think, was a goaltender when you're winning is, is worth 70% of your wins, and a goaltender is worth 100% of your losses. Well, 
you know, a good goaltender is worth 70% of your wins and a bad goaltender is worth 100% of your losses. Well, we're seeing that in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, so you need Tristan Jari. You know, a, couldn't go a whole episode without making sure we mentioned that Tristan Jari needs to be on his game. Oh, uh, sometimes watching uh, watching Alex Nadalkovich in his two games so far, I couldn't help but think to myself, I can't wait for the annual Pittsburgh goalie controversy. Because... Oh, yeah, it'll happen as soon as he comes back and has one stellar game off of injury. And we're all sitting here saying, uh-oh, we s- uh-oh, maybe maybe the maybe the backup goaltender is the guy that should be starting. Again, now, uh, at the for end the, of the day, it should be a tandem. For like the 13th year in a row, we asked this question. Um, yeah, but dating back to Brent Johnson and Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, in, in the postseason, <laughs> yeah. But no, one of the other oh. terms that Jeff Merrick tossed out there, I forget where it was exactly. Uh, but it was change the name of hockey to goalie because really that's yeah that's the that's the game here that's the name of the game mm. and not totally wrong it's it's a it's gonna be a huge piece going forward and like I said genuinely sometimes that goalie controversy while as as goofy as it is to say the annual goalie controversy in Pittsburgh um <laughs> it's and sure I do mean that as a joke because like in those years past, there have been obvious ones and twos. But it's something yes. that if you have that little bit of doubt, well, someone wakes up, right? Your starter might be like, oh, wait, hold on. This is my job. What am I doing? How, what do you mean there's another contra? No, never mind. Take it over. Sometimes you need that little bit of doubt, right? It's kind of what wakes a team up. Maybe that little bit of doubt going into San Jose was, oh, what are we What are we doing? Playing the Sharks. Let's not, especially after the first period, playing the Sharks. Let's pop 10 on them. Not saying that was the goal, but um, they got there. So you need that little mm-hmm. bit of doubt sometimes, and there's plenty of that to go around for the Penguins right now, considering they're still in last in the Metro. A win in, a win in Anaheim still won't get them out of last. They have a hill to climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't help that Metro teams keep winning. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's they got a long season ahead of them still. Still 72 games left. Plenty of time to uh, catch back up in these standings. And it's yeah. starting from the bottom. You can't go any lower than this. Well, good. Yeah, and you could. You I don't could. think we. Uh, here's the thing: we won't be dead last in the league all season. I'll say that. Yeah, it's going to be hard to catch the Sharks for that one. But uh, here's the, here's what I'll say before we go on this one: the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, we we both listened to our Jeff Merrick episodes yesterday. Uh, the other one that he said is, "Show me a good goaltender, I'll show you a good coach." A lot of people are going after Mike Sullivan this season a lot of that might be because of the goaltender just saying just saying goaltenders make coaches in this league and sometimes goaltenders sink coaches uh so just take that for what you will the pittsburgh penguins take on the anaheim ducks later this evening a win is important for them you look at what happened last year what sank them they couldn't stop losing streaks before it got out of control seven game losing streak after seven game losing streak after seven game losing streak i believe they had three last season this year They haven't had a losing streak of more than three games, but they also haven't had a winning streak of more than two. They need to start getting some winning streaks put together. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We will be back on Thursday with a full episode, but don't forget to check out our feed anywhere you get your podcast, as well as on YouTube at Inside the Penguins for Iceberg Recap coming up after tonight's game. That'll be up tomorrow morning. An Iceberg to go that comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next time.